The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc and Spetch of the Wizard in Wiz City. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger. And I'm here with my co-host, Spencer the Wizard Grossinger. And welcome to the Memorial Day edition of our show. Hello, America. Uh, It's Spencer the Wizard here talking. Um, Just wishing everybody a uh, happy Memorial Day weekend. It's such a beautiful Sunday afternoon here in the Philadelphia area, and I'm sure it is around the country, wherever you're going out golfing today, wherever you're at the beach or barbecuing, just have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend, and um, j- just enjoy the weekend. Um, me and Bruce the Sports Doc today, we have a lot on tap. We're going to be talking a lot about the NBA playoffs, because um, that's in full bloom, and <clears throat> that's very current, and we're getting down to the nitty-gritty of the season. Well, we're fresh off of Game 7 yesterday. TD Garden Arena, Sixers and Celtics. From a Sixers standpoint, it was the disappointing end to a great season. The 76ers absolutely had a great season. I mean, when when you broke it down um, last week, um, they were playing the Chicago Bulls, and they were an eighth seed going into the playoffs. And as an eighth seed, the Sixers um, playing Derrick Rose and Joakim Noah in the series – their expectations were probably to take it to five games. Like five games would have been um, strong for them um, in the Chicago series. But for them to actually take advantage of the opportunity that presented itself with the Chicago Bulls and to actually go out there and win the games and in game six, Iguodala for him to hit the free throws um, to get to win and and to win in six games. And then for them to push the Celtics really to the brinking point. I mean, if I was... um, if I were to tell Sixers fans that they would be down three with four minutes to go all Memorial Day weekend, second week of the playoffs in the semifinal round, the Sixers would take taking that deal in a heartbeat. Um, so w- what a great year for the Sixers. Um, and but, but again, they had an opportunity to beat an old team. And again, they came up short. And it looks like they're pretty far away from uh, winning a championship. Well, I'm going to give you my analysis uh, with respect to the Sixers. Firstly, I thought it was um, overall a great coaching job by Doug Collins, the coach of the Sixers. The uh, exceptions are 
I believe that he didn't use Evan Turner properly for most of the season and in the playoffs. Yesterday, Game 7, Evan Turner began the game. They had no plays for him. He just basically, you know, I fought him partially. He was just standing on the baseline, was not in the play, was timid. And then finally, in the second quarter, uh, Evan, uh, they, they let him touch the ball. He made some good moves. He made three baskets in a row. And then Collins took him out of the game. And, and he didn't put him in for another quarter. That was a big mistake. Another mistake was not using Lavoy Allen properly. Lavoy Allen had a monster series. One of the best things that came out of this was watching Lavoy Allen from Temple University come up big, defending Kevin Garnett, making baskets, showing a shooting touch, and really playing like a man, especially in Game 7. Right. Well, um, I kind of want to center this conversation to the game, which you've been doing a great job of um, of recapping. So in this game, the Celtics, from the opening tip, made the Sixers shoot 1 of 10 from the field. And to to shoot 1 of 10 to start, you're not, you're not going to be a confident basketball team. And the Celtics did a great job defensively of kind of sagging um, – and forcing the Sixers to drive because the Sixers are not a jump shooting team. They have probably one of the worst jump shooting teams in the in the NBA and they really don't have a pure shooter on that team. So the Celtics did a great job early of setting the tempo and of, of forcing the Sixers to take outside shots early on and they went one of ten. Um, in the game, you could tell that the Celtics had more experience. I thought um, Doc, um, Doc Rivers ran a smoother track in Game 7. The Celtics had control of the game, and they were always winning the basketball game. In fact, the Sixers only had one lead, and that lasted less than 15 seconds, as the Sixers only had, I think it was at the beginning of the second quarter, they were up by a point or, um, or possibly two points, and that was the only lead that the Sixers had the whole game. To describe this game in an analogy, I describe basketball as kind of like a rock, as rock climbing, where a team that is behind is trying to reach the peak and take over the peak. Um, it's kind of like two rock climbers that are challenging each other to see who can get to the top of the peak first. And the Celtics, for most of the game, held that peak, and the Sixers kept on trying to get there. And in times of that game, the Sixers are. They're a streaky team, and they can go on spurts, but they had no consistency. When the Sixers, most of the game, were down by eight, down by seven, down by six, then they would make up. Then they would go on their spurts and be down by one. But then, instead of taking the lead, the Sixers and actually putting Boston on their heels and making progress, each time they got down by two or by one, the Celtics would then counter them by a five-zero run of their own putting the Sixers back in the same predicament they were two minutes ago. So the Sixers were lacking consistent scoring. Their defense was an A-minus to B-plus. Their defense was tremendous in this game, but offensively, they have no consistent scorers. And when you need a basket in a half-court set, they don't really have that guy you can lean on. You look at Boston, they have Rondo who can create offense. They have Garnett who was unbelievable the whole series. When the Celtics needed a basket, he could step out um, 18, 20 feet, and uh, and his jump shot was dynamite in the series. And also, he's a presence down low. So Garnett, 
he's a shooter and he can make a basket when they need them to. Also, Paul Pierce, his vintage fadeaway jumper. They have guys that can score a basket when they need to. The Sixers, in the half-court offense, it's very erratic, to say the least. The the Sixers don't know who's going to take the shot, where they're going to take the shot. Constantly during the game, they were battling down the shot clock. Drew Holiday, when he was at point guard, he would either turn the ball over way too many times or he would stand out by the three-point line, just delaying, procrastinating on the possession, and then the Sixers would force up a jump shot and miss it. So... The Sixers didn't really drive the ball that well. They were settling way too much for jump shots. And to tell you the truth, they're really not a great jump shooting team. They could get fortunate. They could get streaky. But they're not consistent whatsoever. So the offensive game and the game plan by the Sixers last night was horrendous. Doug Collins and the point guards involved. To to score how, how many points? They probably scored in the 70s last night. And... Just just not a crisp performance on offense, not a winning type of performance. Um, they did a great job on Boston. Boston, to tell you the truth, they look old. Ray Allen, it just kind of was a non-factor, even though he hit threes at the end of the game. Boston escaped the series. They didn't really go out there, and they didn't beat the Sixers. They escaped. They, they survived, and I think that they're going to get wiped off by the Heat next round in four, maximum five games. I think this team is toast. Um, but the Sixers just couldn't get over the peak, and that was the main theme of last night's game. Boston led the whole time, and Boston always had control of the peak, and the Sixers never for a second in the game, even when Pierce fouled out, even when Iguodala had two free throws to take the lead, they can never get to that peak. They can never actually make a stand and control the game and take the lead. They couldn't take that next step. They kept on deceiving you, as they would get close, but then they just couldn't take the next step and actually make progress. Well, I agree with your analysis of Boston. Big players come up big. Kevin Garnett came up really large. Now, again, as a Sixers fan, Garnett is a guy who likes to be an instigator. He he beats his chest literally after he makes a basket. Very, um, you know, and that's the way he is. But if he played on our team, I'm sure I would love him. Uh, Paul Pierce, tremendous ability in the in the clutch just to be able to rise up and get a shot off. Rondo, for the most part, um, the, the Sixers did not respect his ability to uh, to hit the the outside basket, and they gave him a lot of space, and they just dared him to take the shots. And at the end, after Pierce fouled out, Rondo stepped up large. And hit two big threes. And that was really the dagger at that point. I knew, I knew it was over. With Ray Allen, again, he was, he was playing on one leg. I've never seen him miss shots so badly. But, you know, he just, shooters keep shooting. And at the end, the combination of Rondo and Ray Allen really made a difference. The Sixers in that game just didn't have a go-to person at the end. They, um, had far too many possessions, particularly in the first half where you just have uh, Lou Williams or Drew Holiday just dribbling the ball at the top of the key, using up clock and um, listening to Tom McGinnis do the game. You know, he's our our, uh, announcer. He does everything for the Sixers. Basically, um, it would just be like the shot clock's right down 6-5-4, and then they would get a bad shot. Looking at the Sixers, they had 33 points in the first half. 
You can't expect a championship team to win in the NBA with 33 points. So um, what we really need to do is we really need to look at what changes are going to be made in the offseason for the Sixers. How are they going to improve? And also take a look at Doug Collins. So this was the uh, the first segment of Bruce the Sports Talk at Wiz City. Again, we're having a, a pointed discussion about the NBA playoffs. And stay tuned. We'll be back in three. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. School to the pros, we, we, we cover, everything. cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Bruce at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Memorial Day special of Bruce the Sports Doc and Spencer the Wizard Grossinger. This is the second segment of the show. And when we last hit the air, we were talking about the 76ers and the Boston Celtics, and we were breaking down the series. Um, now... Since the Sixers are heading into the offseason, I want to talk to you, Bruce of Sports Doc, about what they can do to improve. In my opinion, the Sixers team has a lot of pieces to the puzzle. Um, they have a lot of strong role players, and they have a nice young nucleus. But I think that they are pretty far away from winning a championship and competing with the Miamis, the Oklahoma Cities, the San Antonios um, of the world. And I wanted to hear from you. What stands out and what the Sixers need soon to be able to take it to the next level? Well, I'm going to start off by talking about the management. The uh, Sixers have a new ownership, and the uh, they've got Adam Aaron and Josh Harris. These are, um, are young people that have found success in every level of business. And what they said 
yesterday, Game 7 is, they're not here just to win games. They're not here to provide an entertaining product. They're here to win it all, and that is to bring a championship to Philadelphia. It's been since 1982, 1983 that we have won a championship in the NBA. And looking at it, so number one, obviously, I'm very happy with the new ownership. Ed Snyder, the previous owner, was um, dedicated to hockey. And um, after Pat Croce left, things really went downhill, and there was a period of doldrums, dark ages for about eight years. And now I could see that the team's on the upslope. So number one, we're going to retain the ownership. We're not looking for new owners. Number two, we're going to retain Coach Doug Collins. I thought he did a great job of uh, of blending in and really getting the Sixers to play defense. This was the best defensive Sixers team I've ever seen. So as far as looking to the future, I want to retain the nucleus of this team. I want to retain the youth, and we want to build on it. And as always, there's time to clean and revise. Because there's a salary cap in the NBA, you've got to get rid of players. You've got to lose salaries. So in, in my suggestions, I'm not suggesting that the, the players we get rid of are, you know, are of no value, but uh, we're basically going to uh, talk about deleting people. Number one, Lou Williams, very streaky player. Uh, you usually don't talk about uh, deleting the, the leading scorer on your team. Lou Williams has the leading scoring average for the Sixers. But the way I see him, he's not a starter. He is also inconsistent. He tends to over-dribble the ball. He's really challenged on defense. He's a small guy. And I believe that he um, you know, he will get some good money in the free agent market. So he's opted out. We're not going to be able to get anything in return other than removing his salary from the salary cap. So number one, my first move is, um, is let Lou Williams move on and sign somewhere else. I agree with you about Lou Williams. I believe that Lou Williams plays what we call NBA nerds like us. We call hero ball. And hero ball means just isolation, um, just being a ball hog, not really looking for anybody else, and just driving and, you know, shooting just way too many times. And Lou Williams, um, He's the leading scorer on the Sixers team because he takes the most shots, and he takes the worst shots. So Lou Williams doesn't really play team basketball. He's not really a passer. His defense also is a defensive liability. He's small, and he can't really guard, and he doesn't show that much effort on the defensive end. So even though Lou Williams could sometimes hit talented um layups to talented jump shots, even though he could drive and show flashes of being a really great offensive player, Lou Williams, in my opinion, is just a he's just a bench player that just does, he's just baggage on the Sixers, and he just doesn't help defensively, and he just doesn't move the ball around, so he's not a good passer. Jody Meeks is is just I don't think he's an NBA capable player. I just don't see anything that he offers that can help out the team. He's a decent shooter. That's about it. I'd move on with him um, next. The Sixers, this is their biggest problem, and this is what people need to address. I don't think that going forward, 
Drew Holiday and Evan Turner can coexist at the point guard position. I believe that they are both point guards, and they both need the ball in their hands to be productive. I don't think they're like Tracy McGrady or Vince Carter that can just roll off screens, that can move without the basketball, and can take the ball from the wing. I don't think they're wing players. I think that they're point guards and need the ball in their hands. So going forward... um, we're going to decide probably by the end of the segment, or I'll decide if Bruce the Sports Doc wants to, whether you should keep Drew Holiday or Evan Turner, because I don't think those guys can alternate, and I don't think you can have a productive offense with both of them running the point guard. It's just too inconsistent. It's just too vague, and I think you got to make a decision to just step out and get one point guard. And then the, the, the area which the Sixers were killed, which was the, um, the power forward spot. Spencer Hall's is soft. He's a European style center in the NBA. He has a jump shot for a center. That's about it. He doesn't bang inside. He can't go up there and grab the ball. That's why I like Lavoy Allen. He shows heart. He goes inside the trees and he grabs the basketball. Spencer Halls is afraid of contact. He's not an NBA center and he, he can't really play defense and there's just way too much wrong with Spencer. So Halls needs to go. The Sixers need a true point guard and they need a strong physical center. Someone that can play with Lavoy Allen. And Elton Brand's getting a little bit old, but I respect Elton Brand's heart, and I believe that he's he served the city as well as he can. But Spencer Halls needs to go. Lou Williams needs to go. Jody Meeks needs to go. And I believe Holiday or Evan Turner needs to go. Well, I don't totally agree with you in the sense that it's that Holiday and Turner are two of the young guys. And I believe that if you build a nucleus around them, that is, if you add what you really need on the team, and I think everybody understands, is two things for next year. We need better shooting. We have a very uh, poorly shooting team. We, we were shooting uh, 29% in the first half at game seven. We just don't have people that could reliably shoot. And you look at the good teams in the NBA, you have to have a few snipers. So number one, Jody Meeks, for some reason, I don't know what happened to him, uh, about two years ago, he really emerged, and he was shooting great. And this year, you know, he he was he was shooting poorly. So if you have a guy who's a one-dimensional player, whose who's whole whose whole job is to shoot three pointers, and he just loses his touch and can't shoot anymore, then he's he's pretty worthless. So I certainly agree with getting rid of Meeks. But what I believe is they need a shooter. Um, I believe that Evan Turner has a big upside. Collins, you know, really didn't play him very much. I don't know how their relationship is. There's been rumors that there's some friction between Collins and, and Turner. If so, Turner certainly played well enough to command a trade. With Drew Holiday in the game, he usually has one good half and one bad half. In the NBA, that does that's not acceptable. For instance, yesterday, he started off really slow, over-dribbled the ball, he made about four passing errors that, that directly led to Boston baskets. So in the first half, I blame Drew Holiday. I put it on his shoulders for us losing in the first half. However, in the second half, he totally turned it around. He, again, started driving the ball and uh, was much better. Drew Holiday, in my opinion, is not your franchise point guard. I believe that he just doesn't have 
the ability. He just doesn't have the poise of a Rayshon Rondo. You look at Rondo, he knows he's so intelligent out there on the floor. He's such a floor general. That's what you need as a point guard on a championship team. You need to be a floor general like a Jason Kidd. And Drew Holiday... He's just too run and gun. He's not a great facilitator. Like he doesn't he doesn't create that great for other people. And I believe Turner's a better creator and I believe Turner's better inside. Now, Holiday is faster pure speed than Turner is. Holiday has just as good a dribbling moves and his shot is two times better because Evan Turner probably has the worst shot in the NBA. His mechanics it just is painful to watch him shoot a basketball. Um, it's like trying to throw a tornado into a basket. It's kind of like Joakim Noah as a guard, Evan Turner's jump shot. Flat. It's just pretty bland. Not bland, actually. Just pretty. Uh, I said, I've said enough about his jump shot. So, so the point is, is that the Sixers... They they need scores and they need pure jump shooters like Kyle Korver actually would help. He's a jump shooter who plays good defense. So you need a guy who could shoot and who can play defense. But I, it's such a tough decision. I don't know if Turner or Holiday is a franchise point guard. I don't think that they are. Chris Pauls, Rayshon Rondo, Darren Williams, and again you need you need a you need a center. Well. We have to touch a little bit on Andre Iguodala uh, in the remaining uh, minute or so. I'm going to quickly say that I'd like to trade him. He's got a contract of $14.5 million for two years. Um, he's a great defender. He showed a lot of heart. He played like a man. Certainly very athletic, exciting dunks, but his big hole is, is shooting. Very inconsistent shooting. He could be really streaky. He'd hit some great threes and other times miss a milieu of shots. So my feeling is if you can't trade him, which I don't think you can, then just l- l- play him down lower towards the basket and let him have a role as a secondary role. He's not a superstar. Right. Uh, Iguodala is a tremendous role player. And, and in the right system, he could be unbelievable, but he just can't be a superstar. He just... He's not like an Allen Iverson where he could, he's talented enough to just, sh- and, and most people aren't in the NBA, but he's not like an Allen Iverson where he can get a basket where he needs it. Um, some names quickly where the Sixers need to, where the Sixers need to wrap up. LaMarcus Aldridge would be key. A power forward like that who could shoot, who could get rebounds, and who could guard people like Kevin Garnett and big players. Spencer Hawes cannot do that. And, my conclusion is that you trade Iguodala, you trade Holiday and Turner, and we can maybe talk about this in the next segment. You trade both of them for Stefan Curry. Well, that all sounds great in theory. Uh, we're here in the hot stove league for the NBA now that our team is uh, is playing golf. So uh, thanks for listening, and stay tuned. We'll be back in three minutes with our third segment of Bruce's Sports Talk in Wiz City. Thanks to Voice America. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. 
Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. Injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Bruce at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. This segment will deal with returning to the classroom, returning to the field of play. And we're going to reference the lead neuropsychologist, Julie O'Reilly. Much of this discussion was excerpted from her excellent talk at the Sinai Hospital in Baltimore, the one-day symposium on January 28th of 2012. And this was organized by Kevin Crutchfield, who is the team doctor for the Baltimore Orioles and the Baltimore Ravens. And again, kudos to Kevin Crutchfield, great guy, and one of our chief collaborators here at Bruce, the sports doc. He organized a great one-day symposium, and we thank Julie O'Reilly. So, what is the role of the neuropsychologist? Identifying the various aspects of injury. We talked about the cognitive, which is the, the brain, the thinking. The emotional, very important. With sadness, irritability, and also instability. Whether it be anxiety and depression. It's the job of the neuropsychologist to put their finger on the problem and to help out with respect to improving the problem. With respect to head injuries, there's a difficulty with processing speed. And this is critical for schoolwork. So we have reduced speed of concentration. We also have trouble with executive function, which is planning. So what's one of the hardest thing, things that a high school student has, and that is planning their time, juggling their extracurricular activities, studying for SATs or ACTs, devoting time to family, and also cultivating and nurturing friendships at high school. So if somebody has a head injury, they're going to have impairment of all these planning and executive functions. That's something that could be diagnosed by the neuropsychologist through testing and through interviews. Also, 
short-term memory. So this is encoding information and also retrieving information, memory. This is stored in the temporal lobes. And another thing is reaction time, particularly on the field of play. So having a slow motor response, slowed reaction time, number one, greatly impairs performance, and number two, could also allow for injury. If you can't react, if you're playing football and you just can't react to the speed of the game, very very easy to get injuries, not only head injuries, follow-up head injuries, but also orthopedic injuries from just being in the wrong place and having your arms and legs in the wrong spot, not being able to protect yourself. So there's a lot of overlapping problems. Again, feeling slow, feeling foggy, forgetting information, slowness overall. And there's also an important role for returning to the classroom, essentially, to monitor the progress and also to have the connection to the student-athlete, ensuring rest, also monitoring the patient for two to three months. And during the time of the acute injury, reducing the amount of tests per day, reducing the amount of homework, and frankly, reducing the hours in school. So in the beginning, the athlete might return to half-day schooling. In the beginning, they might have some homebound instruction. And there has to be an understanding and allowance between the school and the school district and the teachers. And the teacher's role is very instrumental. Some of these patients, and they are student athletes, require what they call an IEP. And that's an individualized educational program. And this involves communicating with the parents, offering support and encouragement, oftentimes special instruction, reinforcement of the principles, and allowing for learning to occur. Also, depression and anxiety has to be monitored and managed by the neuropsychologist, the neurologist, and has to and there has to be an interaction between the parents and the student athlete. One of the biggest problems we see, particularly in hockey and football, is that there is a sense of denial on the part of the parents. Usually, I have to say, the father is usually the worst. There's a feeling like, you know, when I did it, you know, I took a lot of hits when I was young. How come you can't handle it? You got to be tough, you got to get back. And that there's definitely a role of the neuropsychologist to be able to show standardized tests and to be able to explain to the parents there is a problem and it will likely get better, but we have to manage it. And it's easy to be in denial. And that's the old school way of thinking. But as we say, certainly uh, Keith Primo, uh, former captain of the Flyers, said it, it's, uh, it's, it takes a, a, a courageous man to, uh, to know that you're taking time off to get better. Because if you just return too early to the field of play, whether it be ice hockey, boxing, you name it, soccer, you're really hurting the team, okay, because you're hindering your recovery. Perfect example is Tiger Woods. We're not talking about a brain injury here. He felt a pain 
He had recurrent tendonitis in his left ankle. He had trouble walking. And a year ago, he might have toughed it out, pushed through, finished the tournament. He might, he might have missed a month, four to six weeks. But you know what? He said, listen, I recognize it's, it's an injury. I've got to manage it. I've got to get better. And sure enough, he returned to play for a two-day invitational tournament. But yet, he's on track to play in the Masters. So Tiger, rather than being macho and saying, hey, I'm going to tough it out, he knew he had to take time off. So the same analogy is true for head injuries. And there are educational challenges. As the athlete goes on ahead, middle school, high school, typically they become more independent. So what happens? The expectations increase and the support diminishes. There's an expectation that the student has to be more independent. And that's great. But when you have a head injury situation, it could put the student in a precarious position. And particularly if there's no accommodations, what happens? They start failing in school. They're already anxious and depressed. They have headaches, feeling of helplessness, estrangement, downward spiral. So that's why it's so important for there to be a multidisciplinary approach between the neuropsychologist, the occupational therapist, the, the neurologist, and the team physicians and trainers, as well as the, uh, the school districts and the teachers themselves. And the good news is, with proper management, these people usually get better. But there are exceptions. There are, there are some of these long-term cases that uh, the brain injuries uh, plateau at a certain point, and uh, they need to be managed. Medications need to be utilized, such as sedative hypnotic agents to help people sleep and restore sleep cycles, antidepressants, talk about headaches and analgesics. Earlier in the show, we talked about the neurochemistry of headache and how there's parallels between migraine headaches and post-concussion headaches. are very similar. And as neurologists, we deal with them using our knowledge of neurochemistry and pharmacology to try to help people out. And the goal is not to keep them on drugs long-term, but short-term, allow them to get better, allow them to get into a normal routine. Let's dig closer into the, uh, the role of the teacher in the school. The length of assignment should be modified. The teacher should help break down the steps in problem solving. And the student should be given extended time to, um, you know, to get their work done in school, to complete assignments, and also with test-taking. Extended time is, is certainly something that is offered to certain students with different learning challenges. And there's no reason that the head-injured athlete shouldn't be afforded the same latitude. Also, the amount of time under bright fluorescent lights should be limited. A lot of times we instruct the, the families to have old-fashioned incandescent lights, which are much softer and easier on the eyes, especially with those who are light-sensitive with headaches and dizziness, and also to modify the volume of sound and the pace of delivery. We also have to have an allowance for diminished attention time and also memory 
problems, allowing more time to study the test material. Provide not only verbal commands, but also written commands. Many patients with head injuries develop trouble, you know, with one or the other, verbal or written processing, and some both. So to use both the visual system, which is written, and the verbal system, which is an auditory system, to use them both helps to reinforce the learning and also, you know, allowing for deadlines and to be very clear about what's expected. Also with the executive function, to have a designated staff member to communicate with the teachers, to help the students to organize tasks and deadlines, also to use a calendar, and also providing the master notes that the teachers can, they have a master a set of master notes that they teach from, for them to actually provide the written master notes so the patients could have them in advance. When they're in class, they could listen to it, they could look at it in a written way, and also hear it and process it visually and verbally. So all these are very, very important tools. And, you know, students, the, the, the sports are great, but uh, most of these kids are, are not going to be professional athletes. So the key thing is to, is to keep them moving along in school, passing their grades, not losing out, not going into a downward spiral. spiral excuse me. So key elements, communication, monitoring, parents, staff, flexibility, and also having the doctor playing an active role, dealing with the various symptoms of concussion and head injury, and eventually giving, when appropriate, the reassurance that the athlete can begin training, can, can begin cardio, you know, weightlifting, eventually patterning of the sport, and ultimately a return to practice, and finally a return back to playing in competition. Hope you enjoyed this segment. Hope it was uh, informative and not too boring. In any event, stay tuned. We'll be back in time. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. school to the pros we we cover everything everything. let your voice be heard voice america sports dr bruce grossinger is a board certified neurologist and managing partner of grossinger neuropain specialist serving the philadelphia and wilmington delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine pain management interventional spinal surgeries and occupational medicine dr bruce is the director of the national sports concussion program and works as a senior medical advisor for the national high school coaches association we're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Your internet flagship station for sports... 
Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the final segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger. And I'm a board-certified neurologist and pain practitioner in the Philadelphia metropolitan area. I, along with four other physicians, am available to treat you for your pain, whether it be headaches, neck pain, or orthopedic pain. We try to heal using a collaboration of physical therapy, medications, and traditional medical techniques, and we also involve a host of what could be considered alternative practitioners. We collaborate with acupuncturists, massage therapists, chiropractors, and we believe that treating the body as a whole is better than trying to isolate certain body body systems and eliminating others. Today's show deals with the evolving field of regenerative medicine and prolotherapy. want to give accolades to Dr. Mark Johnson, MD. He is the new Journal of Prolotherapy Editor-in-Chief, a very impressive and articulate speaker. That that noise you just heard, the banging, was my 23-pound cat, Beastly, barging into our studio and breaking through a very solid cherry door. That was very impressive, Beastly. Welcome to the show. Notice he's very silent. Sorry for the divergence. Dr. Johnson received his undergraduate degree from Emory University and is a classically trained urological surgeon. Six years ago, He left surgical practice to practice prolotherapy full-time. I had the pleasure of attending a lecture by Dr. Johnson, and I'll report that to you now. Dr. Johnson teaches that prolotherapy as an important clinical tool, therefore injections of various materials, whether they be hypertonic sugar solutions, whether it be platelet-rich plasma or derivations of fat or bone marrow. According to Dr. Johnson, this is a missing link in medicine. So he believes there's a disease process right under our nose that is poorly understood by the medical community at large. And thanks to observations of him successfully treating thousands of painful joints with prolotherapy, he believes that he has a fairly clear understanding of the disease process. He believes that the majority of musculoskeletal problems, which are treated by a host of specialists, including neurologists like myself, orthopedic surgeons, neurosurgeons, chiropractors, and pain clinic physicians, 
actually deal with what he would call CTDS, connective tissue damage syndrome. And this has to deal with various ligaments and tendons. And just by way of teaching, the tendons connect muscles to bone and ligaments connect bones to bone. So according to Dr. Mark Johnson, the scenarios involve real people who have been successfully treated by Dr. Johnson. And he outlines his basis for treatment, his techniques, and also his theories of using prolotherapy in treating pain and in also, in also improving the function of orthopedic structures, including joints, ligaments, and tendons. Until the 1950s, ligaments were believed to be a significant source of bodily pain. And the reason was, anatomically, there's a very high nerve density in ligaments and tendons. Therefore, damage to these structures would be expected to cause significant symptoms and pain. So, the theory of ligaments being associated with joint pain seemed to wane in the 1950s. And this seemed to dovetail with the emergence of some of our imaging techniques. And as we moved into the more recent decades, the enlightenment or the over-preoccupation with MRI and CAT scan, according to Dr. Johnson, really gave rise to uh, waning, basically going back to the dark ages, not using clinical medicine, not actually palpating the structures. And Dr. Johnson in his lecture explained how many of the patients who come to his clinic in Tennessee literally have never really been fully examined by a doctor. They would sit at a desk, look at MRIs, never actually palpate for tender points, range of motion, checking weakness and neurological examination features. And so Dr. Johnson, certainly I join him in saying the any tests in medicine, MRIs, EFGs, anything, have to logically extend from the clinical exam. And Dr. Johnson, I would say, is, is, is brilliant and also somewhat of a maverick and that he has not ordered an imaging study in six years. He has not ordered or reviewed any x-rays, MRIs, or CAT scans and bases his treatment on a very careful clinical examination and using prolotherapy as the cornerstone. So if we use the analogy that ligaments, which connect bone to bone, they function like steel cables. So let's say there are small breaks or fraying of the ligaments. This will physically place more pressure on the rest of the ligament, stretching it, and also stretching the nerves within the fibers. This causes both localized pain, which means pain at the site, and also re referred pain elsewhere. So a doctor must not be confused by a referred pain network and must be tuned into the stretchiness in the nerve supply in the ligaments and tendons. So, Doc Johnson would say, let's look at a common malady, tennis elbow, otherwise known as lateral epicondylitis. It was called tendonitis or tendon inflammation. And biopsy structures showed that there, were, there was no inflammation within the tendon itself. So then tendonitis became tendinosis.
And this became a term for a degenerative or degenerating tendon, one which is aging. So, Doc Johnson reports on the different types of presentations of connective tissue damage, that is, damage to ligaments and tendons. So there's pain with use of a structure. There's pain continuously with progression of damage. We would call that the overuse syndrome. Certainly that mechanism holds with many injuries to the different structures, the hands, the elbows, the knees, and the spinal structures. And how does it present? Tension, spasm, weakness, trigger points. Also, neurological symptoms, aching, numbness, tingling, pins and needles. Also, something called RSD, which involves the uh, deranged autonomic nervous system. And also, some of the reported changes that we've all seen as pain doctors with weather changes and stress-sensitive symptoms. So again, we're reporting on the findings of Dr. Mark Johnson from Tennessee in his presentation to the American Academy of Osteopathic Prolotherapy and Regenerative Medicine, and this was a 2012 conference held in Naples, Florida. The ligament referral systems were mapped out by Dr. George Hackett and published in the 1950s. These referral patterns which are very detailed and can be seen in diagrams, suggest that these referred symptoms are almost always misattributed to nerve compression. And certainly as neurologists, we see patients that have problems with the low back and hip ligaments and who have normal MRIs, normal EMGs, but yet they have an elusive you know, there's, there's, a, there's a large amount of these people out there who have problems with the connective tissues, the ligaments and tendons. Dr. Johnson believes that most knee problems are due to ligament damage and laxity. Laxity means loose in the sense that these tendons and ligaments degenerate over time and become dysfunctional. Usually, damage to the meniscus is preceded by laxity of the ACL. In Dr. Johnson, Dr. Mark Johnson believes that the most important physical test is for the doctor to do something we call a drawer sign. That's like the drawer that you slide out in your furniture, and that involves actually um, having the patient sit and to actually see if there is a sliding forward of the knee with careful palpation. And this laxity, which means looseness of the ACL, can be treated by prolotherapy injections. So, Dr. Johnson primarily uses dextrose as his go-to injection. And that is a, uh, a fairly benign substance. I think we all agree with that. And he usually mixes uh, some local anesthetic in with his dextrose and injects the precise points where he believes there's wear and tear, wear and tear, and where there's damage to ligaments and tendons. So this is um, 
Certainly exciting. We'll be reporting intermittently with respect to prolotherapy and some of the research that will be evolving. And what we really need in the field of prolotherapy and regenerative medicine is good research. We need prospective studies. We need well-controlled studies. And we need accurate reporting. So, today really flew by. I wanted to thank my co-host, Dr. Spencer Grossinger, for his contributions in the first part of the show with respect to NHL playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs, and MLB. And we also want to give a shout-out to Dr. Mark Johnson, the new director of the Journal of Prolotherapy. And we want to thank all the fine doctors, including Dr. Chris Davis and Dr. Brian Scheipel, two leaders in the field of prolotherapy who practice right in Springfield, Pennsylvania, a stone's throw away from your humble host. This has been Dr. Bruce Grossinger, Bruce the Sports Doc, with Spencer the Wizard, signing off, and have a great week. We'll speak to you next week on Voice America Sports. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.